Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Please open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 9. It's located on page 671 in your pew Bibles here, Isaiah 9. We'll be looking at these same few verses over the next couple weeks, verses uh, 5 and 6. Oh, I'm sorry, it's 5, 6, and 7. If we can rise to receive the words, Lord. Isaiah writes, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Powerful words of prophecy once again given to us. Please have a seat. Heavenly Father, I pray that you open our minds and our hearts as we come to these words from Isaiah, very familiar words to us, but words that should never lessen in our awe of them as we realize more and more what you have sent to us and what Christ means in our lives. Pray that you would reveal the scriptures and the interpretation properly to us as we apply it to our lives today. In your name, amen. When I woke up as a kid on Christmas morning after the longest month of the year. Sun wasn't even out, and my feet were on the floor, and I was downstairs trying to beat my two brothers to go be the first person to see the Christmas tree. And I got down there, and I wanted to see if so bad, did, did it come, did it happen? And yes, there are a pile of presents under the tree, and there's all these squeals of joy when you're a kid. Just go, oh, that's so exciting. Where did they come from? You know, why all these presents? But our family had rules. And one of those rules is you did not open presents until mom and dad were awake. Mom and dad had coffee. Mom and dad had a second cup of coffee. Mom and dad made breakfast. We had breakfast together. We had to have a, a devotion. We read the, the Christmas story together. We had to sing happy birthday to Jesus. At this point, it's December 26th. We're wondering if we're ever going to get presents. We had all this time to wait. Usually, it's like between us waking up and actually sitting down to opening presents. It was like two hours for a kid. That's eternity. We knew as kids what eternity felt like. That was it right then. So for those two hours, we'd do a little sly reconnaissance. We'd go to the basement, and we'd sit there, those three boys, our fingers steepled, and we'd be checking out the presents. Who got the biggest one? Because the biggest present might be the best. Or who got the really heavy ones? We might do a little, little feeling, oh, what, oh, this one rattles, that's really cool. But above all else, we were looking 
for those magical two words to be on a gift. I mean, that gift was to you. To Justin was obviously the best ones. So to Justin, I was really excited. We would count them all up. I got 10. I got 12. I'm better than you. Mom and dad obviously love me more, all that stuff. But those two words, when it said my name, I knew nobody else was getting that gift. It was going to be delivered to me, to my waiting hands, and I would tear it open, and it would be some great gift, and I would just cherish it forever and ever, or at least for a month until I broke it. It would just be the best. That excitement of knowing you have a gift to you, and it will be good, is almost more than you can bear. And I was thinking of that as we're going into Isaiah chapter 9 here and looking at these verses here. And I was thinking about how long the Israelites in the Old Testament had to wait for the consolation of Israel. How long they had to wait, especially when Isaiah comes along and says, guys, guess what? God's got this great gift he's preparing and it's got your name tag on it. It's to you. And he can't open it yet. But it's coming. It's coming soon. It's coming one day. And they were told this during their darkest hour. The Israelites were told, given this prophecy, when their failure as a collective people to follow the commands of God was the greatest it had ever been. When their country was about ready to be taken away from them. And they were going to be left with rubble and ruin and death and no hope of a future. Isaiah comes along and says, but there is hope. There's a present. There's a gift. It has your name on it. And it's worth the wait. Last week, Isaiah, we looked at the first few verses and how Isaiah was kind of creating a mystery for us. He was describing a mysterious agent sent by God who would do two things. Who would push away the darkness and bring light. And who would break our chains, break the chains of sin and slavery that bound us. But now we find out, starting in verse 6, who this agent is. And it's a shock. It's a surprise. Because Isaiah writes, it is a child. And that child is being given as a gift to you. Well, one person who most definitely did not care for this prophecy was wicked King Ahaz. You'll remember Ahaz was uh, king of Judah at the time that Isaiah was giving this prophecy. And it was, he was the first person to be given this prophecy. Isaiah came along, got an audience with the king, gave him, said, Ahaz, God has words for you. And here they are. I want to give you this prophecy. Well, Ahaz wasn't really listening. He was having a very hard year. He was looking at the geopolitical situation around his country, and he, all he saw was that he was surrounded by nobody but enemies. And he was being counseled again and again by his advisors that the best course that Judah could take is to form an alliance with the Assyrians, who were as pagan and as evil as a country could ever be. But they were mighty, they were strong, and the only person not telling him to ally himself with the Assyrians was Isaiah. Isaiah came along and said, no, Ahaz, don't ally with these godless pagan people. You need to put your trust and your faith in God. Well, Ahaz wasn't really looking to God for salvation. Ahaz had actually already 
prostrated himself and worshipped before the Assyrian. He had gone up to Damascus to worship at Assyrian temples. They were all the gods of the Assyrians were all the rage at the time. Everybody who was anybody in the world was celebrating and worshipping the Assyrian gods. On top of that, he, Ahaz had actually already sacrificed at least one, if not more, of his sons to the god Moloch by throwing his sons into the fire. Also, to please the Assyrian gods, Ahaz had gone down to the temple in Jerusalem and defiled it to make it more palpable to these gods. So of all the people that wasn't really taking God's calls that day, King Ahaz was at the very top of that list. And in fact, he did ignore Isaiah's advice. He formed an alliance with the Assyrians. And this is basically what opened the door for the Assyrians to come in and wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. But even in the face of such faithlessness, of such wickedness as King Ahaz, God still said, because I had made a covenant and a promise to King David and this entire line of which you are a part, I will give you a sign of coming deliverance. Ahaz is going, great, I don't want to hear it. God says, I'm going to give it to you anyways. The sign will be this, a child will be born to a virgin and will be named Emmanuel, which means God with us. Well, I can imagine how unimpressed Ahaz was with that sign. Ahaz uh, prized things like strong armies and steel and swords and big shields and chariots and strong walls. And here Isaiah is coming along. He says, but your real salvation will be a child. Ahaz is like, great, that'll make a huge difference in the coming battle. A kid will put some armor on him and throw him out there. What, what difference is a little kid going to make? against the coming darkness. Well, if Ahaz had any sort of faith in God, he would have known that a single child from God would be mightier than any army that Ahaz could ever field in battle. If he really knew God's character, Ahaz would have been so pumped and so excited that this child would no doubt bring goodness and righteousness and justice from a God who stands for all of those things. And if Ahaz loved God, he would have known that God's love was bound to culminate in a great act of salvation and redemption. But Ahaz had none of that. It's such an encouraging verse when we look at verse 6 here in Isaiah. I love this verse. It's one of those famous ones. We've probably read it so many times that maybe it's lost its flavor until we finally look at it anew, and that's what I'm hoping we'll do. But I find it very encouraging to be told, to us a child is born. It's encouraging because if there's one word in that whole verse that was different, this would have been the most terrifying verse you would have ever read in your life. If one word was different. One word can make all the difference. There's a true story of a friend who had a daughter who was going in for a driver's test. You know a driver's test, you have the, the actual driving part, but you also have a written portion of the test. And she was so nervous. And she sat down, you know, you know had the pencil in one hand. She's like, I'm going to do this right. And she got to one of those fill-in-the-blank questions. And this fill-in-the-blank question said, when the blank is dead, the car won't start. And she wrote, driver. <laughs> She's not wrong, right? It's not going to start. 
But what a, what a difference a single word makes. Should have written battery. She just killed somebody off right then and there. So what's the word I want to look at changing in verse 6? That if it changed, it would be terrifying. The word is two. Small, almost insignificant. You didn't even think about it. But what if God looked at the vile actions of King Ahaz? He looked at the vileness of our hearts. And he pronounced through the lips of Isaiah, against you a child is born. How does that change our situation? That if God looked at the wickedness of the world, every sin, and He sent one who would bring justice to all nations, to all people, He would raise the planet in an apocalypse greater than Noah's flood. And He would kill every man, woman, and child. Wipe away our accomplishments. Wipe away our memories so that sin would be no more. Consider, we had, at this point, made God our enemy. We had called Him enemy. We had broken our covenant with Him that we had made. We no longer followed His ways. Every day we sin. Every day we turn back against Him. Every day we rebel. Why wouldn't we expect that He would come down in His wrath to cleanse the world? Why wouldn't, Isaiah said, against you a child is born? Yet He doesn't. God was sending a child to us, not against us, to be on our side. It's what makes all the difference. It's why this prophecy is so astounding, so wonderful. It should make us leap in our hearts with joy. And the sign of a child is unexpected. A child is vulnerable. It's not what we're expecting to come down as salvation. It's very humble. Yet God is hinting here, this is the only sign you're going to get. This is all you ever need. It's not the first of a ten-point plan. You need a child, and this child will be it. Ahaz refused to get on board with this concept. Basically waved Isaiah out of court. I don't want to hear, your child is born to me. i got a war to prepare for. But at age of 36, King Ahaz died. And he is still rebelling against God to this very day. Who do you depend on for your salvation? Do you depend on only what you can see, like King Ahaz did? Only on what you can control? Because everything else, is, you can't give it up. You can't give it away. Or are you open to a sign that's as completely unexpected as it is, glorious and personal, that God sent a child to you to do what you cannot? Well, speaking of what we can't do, I want us to jump back here to verse 5. It's a verse we didn't really look at last week. Whenever we read Isaiah 9 here, it's a verse we kind of go, well, I don't get it. Let's keep moving on. Let me read this again. He's, this comes after Isaiah is describing how God's agent would rescue his people. And then Isaiah writes in verse 5, Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. I didn't get it either. Well, the might of this child, as Isaiah is saying, he says, this might of a child will be so great that he will step up to wage war against the forces that are holding these people in captivity. The forces of darkness, the forces of sin. And he says, not only will this child fight, but he'll be the only one doing 
the fighting. That's what verse 5 is about. It's God telling his people through Isaiah, he says, don't be a King Ahaz who thinks you have to do all the fighting, thinks you have to marshal up an army to go out and wage war against sin and free yourself. My child will be so great in battle that you, who would have been a warrior, should just take your boots, take your armor, and throw it into a fire. Burn it down because you don't need it anymore. Somebody else will be doing your fighting for you. That's what he's saying here. We don't often think of Jesus as a warrior. I urge you to do it. Because he is presented as a warrior who fights for us. And he's such an atypical warrior. This child that has been destined to come and he's been called a warrior coming is very atypical. And a lot of people who read the Old Testament, a lot of these Israelites who were looking forward to the Messiah, they read these, these prophecies and they knew he would fight. And so they build up in their mind that he would be this giant King Saul type. Remember, if you remember your stories of King Saul, that was the most masculine man of the Old Testament. He looked the part of a king. He was big. He was strong. And they pictured this guy coming with a sword in a hand and an axe in another and a dagger in his teeth, and he was going to mow through the enemies of Israel like a giant lawnmower. And you can see how that's built up in their mind that when Rome conquered all of Israel, and when the, the whispers of the Messiah were on the wind, they were going, yes, finally, Arnold Schwarzenegger is here, Sylvester Stallone, they're going to give it to those Romans, right? It's going to be this incredible warrior. But the warrior, they should have read Isaiah a little bit more carefully because the warrior described here is not the type of warrior who's all about muscles and not so much about brain. I want us to read here, if you have your Bibles, feel free to flip forward to Isaiah 42 because Isaiah here describes this one-of-a-kind warrior who's so different than everybody else who's come before and everybody else will come since. This is God reading, uh, speaking about this warrior in Isaiah 42. He says here, Here is my servant, my warrior, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout. He will not cry out. He will not raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice, and he will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice in the earth. I love this mental picture that Isaiah is saying here, that he's such a strong warrior, yet this bruised reed, this thing that, you know, just a puff of wind would knock it over. This warrior will be so gentle, he won't break it. And the wick that's just smoldering, it's this close to going out, it's ready to gutter out. This warrior will be so delicate that he won't put the flame out. He's dealing with broken people. He's talking about us. We're the bruised reeds. We're the smoldering wicks. We're this close to damnation and destruction. He says he won't put you out, but rather he'll be so tender for you. So Isaiah is saying not, not only will this child fight for you and he'll be tender for you, but he will get the job done. He won't falter. He won't be discouraged. He won't be distracted until the mission that he was called to do is accomplished. 
until God's justice is satisfied. And that mission, as we all well know, was accomplished on the cross when God brought His wrath against all of our sins, brought justice, and was fulfilled. Do you trust God to fight your battles? Especially the battle for your salvation. That's what accepting Christ is all about. It's about looking at whatever paltry sword you have in your hand and going, this isn't enough. I have a million of these things. It's still not enough. God, I'm going to throw myself down on your mercy. Please fight for me. Do what I can't. Wage my battle and save me. The final part of verse 6 that we want to look at today is how the prophet promises, to us a son is given. has a ring of a gift, doesn't it? Well, there's been this trend in recent years of some parents, especially on YouTube, where they want to, they want to pull a practical joke on their kids. And so what they do is this, and I've seen this so many times. Well, they'll take something small and insignificant, a, a beaten up book, a TV dinner, and they'll wrap it in a little bit of a larger present and then a larger one and put it in a bigger box and a bigger box and a bigger box until there's this gigantic box under the tree. And then they'll film their kid running down on, on Christmas morning. Ah, there's a big gift under the tree and it's for me and I'm excited. And they open up this big box and inside it's a smaller box. What can it be? It's still pretty big. And they keep opening box after box after box until they get to that final bit of nothing, and they film this, and you're filming a kid's heart breaking. It's a cruel, cruel prank. Don't, do, don't ever do this. You won't remember anything else from this sermon other than don't do that. But the reason I mention this, and no, I haven't done it to my kids that I know of, is because God's gift to us in Isaiah is the opposite. What he's talking about here is a child is six pounds of human being. It's nothing in the grand scheme of things. It looks so small, so insignificant. And yet, inside this child is a gift that keeps unfolding and unfolding and unfolding like a reverse, uh, a Russian doll where it just keeps getting bigger and we will never get to the end of our benefits and our thrills and our joys and our salvation. We will never get to the end and go, "What? wait, is that it? There will never be an end to it. A really good gift that you get from somebody this Christmas lasts a long time. Maybe it will even last you the rest of your life and you'll pass it down to somebody else. A really good gift, in my my opinion, is a gift you actually use on a daily basis, not something you put up on a mantelpiece, but something you get use out of you and you enjoy. A really good gift makes you think of the giver because you know they put a lot of thought into getting a gift that's tailored to you, to your desires, to your needs, something that will enhance your life. And the more we study Jesus Christ, the more we study who He was, who He is, what He taught, what He did for us, the more we see that God loved us so much that He wanted to give us the very best. And the best gift of all that He could possibly think of is this gift that had no end to it. That was so wonderful and so thrilling and so exciting that once we start opening it, we have no need for anything else. It will be a be-all and end-all, forever useful, forever thrilling. And there were shepherds 
living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This is the prophecy fulfilled. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news, which will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And can there be any wonder why, upon hearing these words, the shepherds instantly abandoned their sheep, hitched up their robes, and they ran like they were running the 100-meter dash all the way into Bethlehem because they wanted to see this gift that had been promised to them by Isaiah for so long and now was finally wonderfully here. And they burst into the stable as Mary and Joseph looked up in surprise and they saw in the manger a small baby with a name tag wrapped around his finger that said, To you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Your grace is a gift that we did not deserve, we did not earn, we cannot merit in our lifetimes, and yet, Lord, You have loved us so much that You gave Your one and only child that whoever believes in Your name will receive Him as a gift that will never end. It will never be taken away from us. It will never come to the bottom of it. And Lord, this is what Christmas is about for us. Is you have given Jesus to us. Not against us. He is on our side. And Lord, may our astonishment, our gratefulness, our love of this act never end either. In your name, amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash knoxepc. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.